The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. The fourth beatitude. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after justice, for they shall have their fill. Two weeks ago, in the second of the stories in this series, we met George Drakeley and Agnes Mueller. You know, George, you remember, at first underrated Agnes, but when he really came to know her, he, he fell in love with her, and now they're engaged. Well, darling, that just about settles everything, doesn't it? <laughs> no wonder you're such a good lawyer. You do settle everything, don't you? <laughs> well, that's nicer than saying I fix everything. Oh, you're not that kind of lawyer. <laughs> George and Agnes, you see, have been discussing the plans for their marriage. And since Agnes's parents are not living, well, George himself has taken an active part in the plans. <laughs> Practically speaking, remember that moving picture? You're the father of the bride. <laughs> the stepfather, anyhow. <laughs> oh, well, it has been fun. Uh-huh. It makes me think of the kind of father you will be, George. You'll be a good one. Sure, as long as you don't overdo being a mother. You don't think I'll ever love you less for being a father, do you? That's, that's not what I mean, Agnes. Well, what do you mean, George? Oh, I just mean that, well... Well, let's not have our children by the dozen. You mean... Well, I mean this. Let's have two, let's have three, but... Well, let's not overdo it, that's all. Oh, I, I see. Now, I, I'm not saying let's not have any children. Why, I love children. Yes, yes, I know you do. Uh, how people have a whole flock of them can pay individual attention to any of them, I, I just can't imagine. But, George, when I think of children, I, I simply think of loving them as God sends them to me. It's never occurred to me that I might exhaust my love on the first one or, or the first two. Oh, look, or... Agnes, you're, you're a good girl, I know. It, it's one of the reasons I love you so much. It really is. Well, all this talk against birth control, now, now who made it up? Priests. 
Well, I respect priests as, as much as you do, especially when they offer mass or hear confessions and all that. But what do priests really know about marriage? What do they know about raising children in the conditions of modern life? George is a good, honorable young man. I respect him. He's terribly generous and kind. When he talked to me like that about... about artificial ways of not having children, I didn't agree with him. But I didn't argue with him either. I... Well, I worried about not telling him what I believe about marriage. I felt like telling him it wasn't really priests who make up the rules. It was nature. It was nature's God. It was the moral law. Well, this morning at Sunday Mass, I was struck by something that Father Morgan said in his sermon. The sermon, oddly enough, was not about marriage and children. It was about the fourth beatitude. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after justice. And so, justice, my dear people, is the virtue by which we give to others whatever belongs to them. Give to man what belongs to man. Give to God what belongs to God. In the broadest sense, then, it's the hunger and thirst after the right thing in all the circumstances of life. The God-inspired hunger and thirst after the right thing. The thought planted in Agnes's mind by Father Morgan leads her to have a heart-to-heart talk with George. And the upshot of the talk, Agnes, you win. It isn't a case of winning. If anyone has won anything, it's you. Oh? How come? An idea was fighting for your mind, and you won out over it. But with your help, Agnes. Look, there are going to be two principles, so to speak, Two principles in our lives. The one ending in A-L, money. Well, I look after that, hey? The one ending in L-E. Well, suppose you look after that. You're a better man there than I am, Agnes. Oh, I am not. Oh, yes, you are. Far as the L-E principle is concerned, you lead on, and I'll follow. Don't be so modest. You're a good man, George. With a wife like you, that's what I want to be. George, about children... Yes? Whatever made you say what you did? You're a Catholic. Whatever made you think... Oh, I suppose I did too much listening the other night to some people out of the country club. I know. A lot of people nowadays are listening. Listening too much to the wrong thing, I suppose. And too little to the right thing. Where do you hear the right thing, anyhow? In church. But what about the people who don't go to church? Where do they hear it? In their consciences, don't they? The voice of conscience. He and Agnes are happy. They begin to prosper. And shortly after the birth of their second child, they have a little boy and a little girl now, we're with George in his law office on Main Street in Hanover City. Hello, George Drakely speaking. Uh, This is Millard Hamilton. 
yes, Mr. Hamilton. How would you like to have me for a client? Why, I'd like nothing better. Matter of fact, any lawyer in town, any lawyer in the state would be glad to have you for a client, Mr. Hamilton. Oh, well, that's fine. (laughs) Come over and see me and we'll make a deal. Well, thanks a lot. Hey, thank you for calling. Wow. George Drakely, Millard Hamilton's lawyer. That afternoon, George hurries home an hour earlier than usual. Agnes! Say, Agnes! Hello, darling. My, but you look happy. Well, now, where are the children? Where do you think? Say, I've got good news for them. They're both out in the kitchen in their playpens, watching me peel potatoes. Oh, Agnes, (laughs) you'll not be peeling potatoes much longer. Why not? Are we all going on some kind of diet? (laughs) Yes, a diet of lobster and champagne. (laughs) Oh, even the children. (laughs) Even the children. I always knew you were going to spoil them. What is the good news, darling? Tell me first. The children wouldn't understand it anyhow. Okay. Millard Hamilton has asked me to become his lawyer. Millard Hamilton? I repeat, Millard Hamilton. Oh. Well, you don't look very happy about it. Oh, I'm happy for you, George. It's a tribute to your ability. A tribute, I should say it is. Hamilton doesn't mess around with mediocrities. What became of that lawyer he used to have? Mr. Pearson, wasn't it? Yeah, Pearson's retiring, going to live in Florida. Well, wife, what do you think of your husband now? I think he's a wonderful husband. I've always thought so. Yeah, well, we're in clover now, honey. Well, you're not saying much. Does it all take your breath away? Yes, it does, in a way. Well, what, what are you thinking about? Hamilton's reputation? I suppose so. Agnes, I'll bet you that that reputation of his is 99% the product of jealous gossip and sheer gullibility on the part of people who listen to it. Well, can you prove anything against the man? No, George, I don't suppose I can. Then why not give him the benefit of Christian charity? What do you mean, George? Are you afraid that I'd do anything crooked for anybody? No, if there's one thing I'm not afraid of, it's that. All right, then, be cheerful. And, and the next summer, a vacation at the seashore. And 17, 18 years from now, college educations for our children. Oh, it's been a great day today, Agnes, a great day. The large sheet metal factory managed, although not owned by Millet Hamilton, has a poor reputation for safety. There are many accidents in it. And every year, at least one of the workers is killed. In his first long, serious talk with him in the law office on Main Street, George Drakely learns what it means to have the best-paying client he's ever had. I'll be frank with you, Mr. Hamilton. This, this safety situation at the factory, how does the union... Uh, well, well, frankly, how does the union let the factory get away with it? Well, here's the situation. The union leader is Garrett Smith. And Garrett Smith is a man my uh, my lawyer always takes care of. Your predecessor, Clarence Pearson, did it very well. He did everything very well. You mean he... We have a fund for contingencies, Drakely. You handle it. It's part of your legal service. Well, <laughs> one of our recurring contingencies is Garrett Smith. You mean you pay him to... We pay him to go easy. Why, good grief. If we installed every safety device we're expected to, it would cost us a fortune. Yeah, but uh, what about 
What about the police, Mr. Hamilton? I mean, how do they let the factory get away with it? Well, they don't. They're after us all the time. And we've hesitated to offer them money. Uh, well, Pearson always told me that the police chief here is one of those honest people. Well, Captain Myers, yes, I, I know him. He took my father's place. I hear your father has great influence with him. Oh, now, Mr. Hamilton, if you're implying... I that... never imply anything, Drakely. No, I, I don't want you to ask your father to ask Myers to go easy on us. That would be too obvious. All I'm asking you to do is to take care of Garrett Smith. Keep him happy and don't pay him more than you have to. Now, do we understand each other? Well, I... Well, Smith, of course, is only a minor part of your job, a sort of sideline. Most of it is routine legal work, contracts, taxes, all that sort of thing. Well, I've got to be going to the factory. Oh, well, uh, why not come out there tomorrow? I'll show you around, and we can have lunch at the country club. Think you can make it? Mm, yes, I, I think I can, Mr. Hamilton. Good. I'll introduce you to Garrett Smith if we run across him. Well, the weeks pass. When George comes home at night now, he, he has little to say. He used to talk a lot about his law practice. That is when it didn't involve anything confidential between him and his clients, of course. But now, no talk, except about what appears in the newspapers. And that isn't interesting... After all, Agnes reads the newspapers herself. On this particular night... Darling? Mm-hmm. Why so quiet? Oh, I'm tired, I suppose. You're not talking much anymore. You used to talk such a lot. It was gay talk, too. Happy talk. Was it? I loved it. <laughs> you sound as if it was ages ago. Ever since you took on Millard Hamilton as a client... Oh, but that was six weeks ago. Well, ever since then, you haven't... Well, you haven't been yourself. Well, there's a lot of detailed work to it. That's a big company you run, you know. Yes, and you're working so hard at it. Well, aren't you satisfied with the money I'm making at it? Darling, I'm satisfied with everything except... Except what it might do to your health. Oh, my health's all right. Well, there's no sense in making more money than we need if, if you're going to exhaust yourself well, at it. Well, don't get excited about it. I'm not excited, but I am concerned. Concerned? You and your conscience. <laughs> now, who said anything about my conscience? I know, I know. You, you still disapprove of Millard Hamilton's character. And who said anything about Millard Hamilton's character? Is he on your conscience, George? Well, you... Do disapprove of him, don't you? George, I brought up his name in passing. I didn't bring up his character. Look, he's a good man to work for. He's not a small-timer. He's not cheap. He, he pays good money. But, George, I haven't said anything against him. I'm sorry. I, I suppose I'm tired. Why don't you go to bed and get a good long sleep for a change? <sighs> yeah, I never thought I'd ever get as tired as this. Everybody gets tired once in a while. You're sweet, Agnes. You're real. You're real, George said to Agnes. Well, perhaps he said that because these days with Millard Hamilton, he's leading a life which is unreal compared to the life he knew with his fine parents and the life he knows with his lovely wife and children. Yes, to George Drakely, 
Millard Hamilton is a, a new experience. A profitable experience, but new and strange. One afternoon, Millard Hamilton calls on George's father, Captain Drakeley, the retired chief of police of Hanover City. As you know, Captain, your son George is now the lawyer for the factory. Yes, I know. He's told me. As a lawyer, he's clever. He's smart. He knows his law. Well, he always was a good student in college and law school. Captain, he has a real future ahead of him. A real future for himself, for his wife, and for his children. Your grandchildren, Captain. Mr. Hamilton, uh... You didn't come here to discuss the uh, time of day. No, you're right, Captain, I didn't. I've come here to make a request. Will you suggest to your friend and successor, the new chief of police, Captain Myers, that he lay off? Lay off? Lay off what? My factory. You mean the safety precautions there? Or the lack of them? You'd be helping your son, Captain. Uh, your son and your grandchildren. Hamilton, I always suspected that you were no good. Well, I'm good for $2,000, Captain. $2,000 for you and Myers. Myers isn't that kind of an officer. Neither am I. Myers is threatening to close the factory down. Now, if he did that, it, it might take six weeks before we could install those safety devices. You should have installed them two years ago when you took the place over. You close it down and what happens... Why, 1,700 people out of work for six weeks. And your son, as far as the factory is concerned, out of work permanently. Think it over, Captain. Good afternoon. Captain Drakeley thinks it over. He thinks it over very quickly and decisively. He goes directly to George's law office. So you see, that's the story, George. That's the kind of man you're working for. Now, what are you going to do about it? Dad, I... I'm going to do the right thing. That's what Agnes calls it. She got it from Father Morgan, she tells me. The hunger and thirst after the right thing. Good boy. You can't go wrong by seeing things the way that girl sees them. George is driving to the factory... He goes over in his mind what he's going to say to Hamilton. Hamilton, you and I are quits. I haven't been happy about you anyhow. Not for the last six miserable weeks. You're a crook, Hamilton. You're a murderer. Every life lost in one of those accidents here in this factory... Every drop of blood spilled in every one of those injuries. Why don't you install those safety devices, Hamilton? It's a matter of basic justice. You owe it to your workers. Why do you corrupt that union leader, Garrett Smith? That's another matter of basic justice. Men have a right to have an honest leader... What do you do? You deny them that right. You deny them something that belongs to them by corrupting him. Hamilton, I feel dirty 
dirty from knowing you, working for you. God forgive me. Think of the wife I have and the two children, another one on the way. What would they think of me if they only knew? Her husband, their father, a crook, a crook, like Hamilton himself. God forgive me. When, however, George arrives at Hamilton's office, much of his determination evaporates. And Hamilton, a far shrewder man, sees what's on his mind. Mr. Hamilton, I, I know I didn't call you to tell you I was coming, but I said... Well, I'm glad you came, Drakely. I was going to call you. Oh? Oh, is that so? Anything on your mind? Oh, number of things. Things that'll keep you rather busy, if you're interested. Are you interested? You mean, is it... Well, is it a matter of my legal services? Services to the factory? No, not this time. Uh, legal services to me personally, yes. Oh, oh, to you personally? It'll mean $10,000 to you, Drakely, and expenses. Well, I, I'm always interested in a good fee. What lawyer isn't? Exactly, what lawyer isn't? <laughs> well, what, what's on your mind, Mr. Hamilton? Rebecca Ansel. Oh. I'd like you to see what you can do about it. Does your wife... Does Mrs. Hamilton know... I suspect that Mrs. Hamilton suspects my interest in Mrs. Ansel. And what about Mr. Ansel? I think he suspects it, too. Has, has Mrs. Hamilton given you grounds for divorce? No, she hasn't. It's up to you, Drakely, to work it out. There's a pause in the conversation here. Not a long pause, but one of those pauses in which a man can think long thoughts. Agnes is going to have another child. Agnes, whom I love. But all those high principles of hers. Justice, she says. The right thing. The hunger and thirst after the right thing. Giving to man what belongs to man. Giving to God what belongs to God. Well, that was her idea, not mine. Ten thousand dollars. Did I say ten thousand dollars, Drakely? Make it fifteen. Fifteen thousand in expenses. Mrs. Ansel will pay Mr. Ansel a hundred thousand if he turns out to be accommodating. I want you to work on that end of it, too. Fifteen thousand as lawyer for the factory, fifteen thousand as lawyer for me, and expenses. I'd like an answer from you here and now. Well, Drakely? I... I'd like to think it over, Mr. Hamilton. Well, think what over? Mr. Hamilton, I'll take the case. I, I, I don't know what I can do about it, but, well, I'll, I'll try. Well, now you can really do something for that family of yours. Yes. Yes, it looks now as if I can. Oh, and uh, by the way, these uh, safety installations, 
See what you can do about talking your father into talking Myers into uh, going easy on us, will you? I didn't get to first base with your father myself. Oh, did you talk to him? Yes, and I got nowhere with him. He, uh, well, he seems to regard me as a sort of shady character. If he does, what do you think he'll think of me for representing you? If you tell him that you're a shady character yourself, he might do what we want him to do out of a desire to protect his son and his grandchildren. What? What do you mean, tell him I'm a shady character myself? Why, anyone who pays hush money to that union leader, Garrett Smith, is a shady character. And I have, well, I have the goods on you there, Drakely. Without implicating myself, I can make it known that the reason why I've dropped you as the factory's lawyer is that I caught you paying hush money against all my principles to Garrett Smith. Everything you do is part of a plan, isn't it? It's one of the rules of success, Drakely. Plan everything. If your father, by not giving us a break, wants to expose his son to disgrace, all right, let him go ahead. Why don't you talk it over with him? I think he'll come around to our point of view. Hamilton, you know what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to expose you to this whole town. I'm going to drive you out of it. You mean you're going to reveal the confidences of a client to his lawyer? No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll just kick you out of town. Maybe I'll worry you out. I... I don't know how I'll do it yet, but I'll do it. All right, Drakely, and maybe you'll succeed. But not before I tell everybody about the hush money you've been paying to Garrett Smith. I haven't paid Smith a penny of hush money. You haven't? No, I've been stalling him off. Why? My conscience, I suppose. Or my wife's conscience. What does her conscience have to do with it? Well, it's it's hard to explain... Sometimes, when my own conscience goes back on me, hers seems to step in to take its place. You mean you've been discussing business, my business with your wife? No, no. No, It's just that sometimes her principles take over inside me when my own principles take off. That's why I've hesitated for the last six weeks to pay Smith any hush money. Now, I, I won't say I would have continued hesitating. I'm no saint, you know. Well, my wife has beaten you at your own game. You play it crooked. She plays it straight. And she wins. <laughs> you mean she loses $30,000? She sleeps peacefully at night, Hamilton. You can't buy that for a million dollars. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after justice, for they shall have their fill. I want to thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, The Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. 
We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV-AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore, attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need, please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymore, Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.